The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 23rd of November here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybet Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, the UK's Chancellor offers tax cuts, but will his £21 billion stimulus plan fuel inflation? Far-right Dutch lawmaker Gert Wilders secures a shock victory in the country's election. And we bring you a special report on Viktor Orban's $1 billion academy training a new generation of nationalists. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Jeremy Hunt has announced a raft of tax cuts aimed at boosting growth and reviving the Conservative Party's electoral fortunes. The measures include a cut to national insurance for 27 million workers and a permanent tax break for corporate investment. The Chancellor insists his autumn statement will lead to growth in a country that has turned a corner. We cut taxes to help bigger businesses invest. We cut taxes to help smaller businesses grow. We cut taxes for the self-employed who keep our country running. And from January, we cut taxes for 27 million working people whose hard work drives our economy forward. In total, the policy changes announced by Jeremy Hunt will provide a £21 billion stimulus to the UK economy into the run-up to the next election. The Office for Budget Responsibility says the measures will boost the economy by an average of just under 0.3% in the coming years. While the government has been trying to defeat inflation all year, it was rising prices that boosted tax revenues and therefore allowed Jeremy Hunt to announce these stimulus measures. Total GDP, including inflation effects, was upgraded by 5.5%. However, trend growth for the UK, which determines living standards, was downgraded by a total of 2.4% over the next four years. That is something that the shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves, pointed out. The Chancellor claims that the economy has turned a corner, yet the truth is that under the Conservatives, growth has hit a dead end. Rachel Reeves also told Parliament that households are paying the price of 13 years of Tory rule. The Office of Budget Responsibility says that while the outlook has recently improved, real household disposable income is on track to have fallen 3.5% over the first half of this decade. A far-right party has won the elections in the Netherlands in a shock result that will resound across Europe. With the details, here's Bloomberg's Chris Pitt. Hurt Wilders has lived under police protection for two decades following death threats over his anti-Muslim views. But the Dutch far-right populist now has a chance to become the country's next prime minister. His Freedom Party secured 37 seats in the national election, making them the biggest parliamentary party although still short of the 76 needed to govern. Only once in recent Dutch history has the leader of the biggest party not gone on to become the country's political leader. Wilders' win comes after he promised a binding referendum on the EU and railed against a range of the bloc's policies on issues like climate change and immigration. The victory could pose a major challenge for the European Union. In London, Chris Pitt, Bloomberg Radio. 
Now, Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban is pursuing new powers to detect and punish what he sees as foreign influences in the country. The proposed Sovereignty Protection Agency will aim to identify external efforts to sway politics. That's according to a bill filed by the ruling party on Tuesday. Orban's plans attracted an immediate response from the European Commission, who say that they are following developments closely. The Hungarian leader told supporters last week that stricter rules are necessary necessary to keep what he called liberal hegemony in check. Israel and Hamas are preparing for the ceasefire deal to free hostages to come into effect. The head of Israel's National Security Council said the releases will begin not before Friday rather than early Thursday as had been previously expected. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says his forces remain focused on recovering those held captive. Since the outbreak of the war, we are indeed taking action constantly in order to bring them back home, to bring them all back home. And when I say all, I mean all of them. Netanyahu also highlighted the country's efforts since the war began six weeks ago. An agreement between Israel and Hamas would mark the first pause in the fighting. And finally, billionaire Warren Buffett says that his will is going to be simple and public. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. Buffett says it will be simply filed at the Douglas County Courthouse in Omaha. He says he feels good, but at 93, he realizes he's playing in extra innings. He's long pledged more than 99% of his wealth go to philanthropy. He says after his death, his assets will be an open book. No imaginative trust or foreign entities to avoid public scrutiny, but simple. Buffett is the world's ninth richest person with $120.8 billion net worth, according to Bloomberg's Billionaires Index. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Of course, the big event in the UK here yesterday was the autumn statement from the Chancellor with this new package of tax cuts announced, but the growth forecast revised down. Caroline, you've been uh, digesting some of the details and reaction to this. How has the announcements, or rather, how have the announcements from Jeremy Hunt been received? Yeah, absolutely. You and I were covering this, of course, live yesterday on Bloomberg Radio uh, on our UK politics programme. We were listening in to the Chancellor as he gave that autumn statement. Uh, look, the tax cuts, I think, have been welcomed, but they come from a very high starting point. Point, and uh, some critics say that they then require implausible cuts to public services further down the line. So Hunt announced £21 billion of tax cuts. There was a big tax break for company investment. There was £10 billion a year in terms of the cut to payroll taxes. So that's something that helps 27 million workers in the UK. Tory MPs welcomed it. People like Ben Bradley. It will go down very, very well with the vast majority of my constituents. But there is uh, some pause elsewhere. The FT sees the timing of the national insurance tax cut in particular as something that leaves the option of a spring general election if its uh, dire opinion polling uh, improves open. So I thought that was an interesting line from the FT. But it also does mean that government um, departments are going to end up feeling the pain after the next general election. So the Resolution Foundation saying £19 billion of cuts after the election, that is comparable to the Osborne austerity years, the Office for uh, Budget Responsibility, the fiscal watchdog, saying that the programme is severe enough that it's a significant risk to our forecast. So, you know, tax some tax cuts today, but perhaps more pain in the sort of five-year window of tax and spending plans from this 
government. Indeed, so it's, it's the next government that may have to deal with the fallout of that then. So the big focus then has been around the tax burden. Yeah, I think that uh, you see and pick up in all of the coverage. The thresholds for the different tax bans remain frozen and will do so for many more years. Bloomberg saying that the tax burden will remain at a post-war high of 37.7% of GDP. If Hunt hadn't done the cut, cuts to taxes yesterday, the tax burden would have been even high, 38.4%. Labour's memorable line from the shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves, picking the pockets of working people. The BBC reaction, very much focused on tax, is still set to rise to its highest level in 70 years. And then there's the big question about whether it's inflationary or not. So economists like uh, from KPMG, Yarl Selfin, saying that the ambition to uh, cut taxes is, quote, virtuous, but impractical. So what about the magic beans element of the autumn statement? Creating growth, every government wants to do it. Was there a recipe to create growth? Uh, It looks more like an aim than a reality. Hunt talked about 110 measures for growth, leveraging private capital through pension funds, uh, clearing the planning obstacles. The OBR says it'll only add about 0.3% to growth by 2028. The backdrop is the OBR slashing the growth forecast for next year down to 0.7%, down from 1.8% percent and then down to 1.4 percent from two and a half percent for 2025 so I think the plan is quite clear from the Tories that they want to bring down taxes the hope is then maybe that voters look past the record in government um the reality is, you know, steepest fall in living standards since the 1950s, according to the OBR. And yes, the hope of growth is there, but delivering it very, very difficult. Yeah, so that's the big political event in the UK. We've also, though, been keeping an eye on political developments in the Netherlands after the results of the election there yesterday. A shock win for the far-right party mm. of Heert Wilders. 37 seats with 98% of votes counted as what they have secured. The Freedom Party, that puts them in pole position, although you need 76 seats to govern. So a lot of the focus now is on what sort of coalition Heert Wilders might be able to lead. Ahead of polling day, many of the other parties had actually ruled out working with him, but the sheer size of the vote in this election and the number of seats is one may force some of them to negotiate some of their positions in this as well. Yeah, I mean, you and I have spoken quite a lot about the state of European politics, uh, you know, whether there is um, a growing trend towards populism or not. And actually, the win of Filters really seems to have taken many people by surprise. What do you think drove Wilders' popularity? That's a big question. I mean, it's worth remembering that Hurt Wilders has been on the Dutch political scene for decades. He was formerly a member of Mark Rutte's VVD party as, the, as well. Um, he is a populist of the far right. Uh, you know, his anti-Islam, anti-immigration rhetoric has been the centrepiece of the, the Freedom Party's history. Um, he was, it's worth saying, convicted in 2020 mm. for incitement to discrimination about comments that he made about Moroccan immigrants, although the judge in that case imposed no penalty. So he is a controversial figure within Dutch politics as well, but he has been around and been on the scene for a very long time. Um, this time around, he centred his campaign around those anti-Islam, uh, anti-immigration messages. He also had policies that he wanted to stop uh, sending aid to Ukraine, for example. Uh, he wanted to shut down mosques, ban the Koran, um, but also promised a referendum on leaving the European Union too, which yes. is interesting because that's something that the polling actually shows the majority of Dutch people do trust the EU. In fact, support for the EU is higher in the Netherlands than it is in the majority of European Union, Mm. or the average figure, rather, for European Union member states. And they actually trust the EU more than they trust their own parliament or their own government. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. 
the course, the next part of the negotiations is going to be the tricky one. Yeah. Uh, the Freedom Party came in as the biggest party, 37 seats. The next largest party is the Green Left Alliance, led by former European Commissioner Franz Timmermans, at 25 seats. The VVD Party, the party of the outgoing Prime Minister Mark Rutte, came in with 24 seats. And it's a question of how you make up the electoral maths. This is a pluralist party system that has uh, many parties, I think about 10 of them, or even more, are going to be represented in parliaments. There's going to be a question now of composing that coalition. Will the other party leaders want to work with Hurt Wilders? And what compromise he will propose in his hardline policies. He already said in his victory speech last night he was willing to compromise to be able to do this. And look, that's been the experience of other politicians in mm-hmm. other parts of Europe as well. Look at Georgia Maloney whose politician policies and government have been less extreme than those on the election campaign as well. This is nonetheless a shock in Dutch politics. It's yeah. a shock in European politics. It's going to be watched elsewhere as well. But the next crucial stage is going to be those coalition negotiations. The last time around it took nine months for a government to be formed in the Netherlands that was the coalition of four parties securing agreement this time around could be even more complicated. Yeah, absolutely. It could, be, again, be three or four parties that would be needed to make up the the mass. And so what policies from Wilders um, get, get through that whole process is going to be totally fascinating. Now, one of the first messages of congratulations for Hurt Wilders came from Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban. And we're going to Hungary next for our next story. The Prime Minister there laying out plans for new powers to detect and punish what he sees as foreign influence in the country. For more, let's go to Budapest and speak to our reporter Andras Gergely, who has more on this. Andras, great to have you with us on the programme. What has Viktor Orban proposed and why? Hello, um, thanks for having me on the show. Um, and that's right, um, the new agency that um, Orban is setting up is supposed to go after any foreign funding that NGOs or political parties receive with the stated purpose of defending Hungary's sovereignty from outside meddling and fake news campaigns. In practice, civil groups and opposition parties fear this will essentially provide a powerful state apparatus to silence critics, on top of the wide array of tools already at the ruling party's disposal. What exactly are they teaching these students in this MCC Academy, Andras? Yeah, so so they're giving them uh, tutoring in languages, uh, leadership, communication, and, and in fact, it's like all around the humanities, uh, all the way from primary school to uh, university level. And they're inviting speakers such as former Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson um, and other names that you might recognize, former Austrian Chancellor Sebastian Kurz, um, and, and sort of show them, show the students uh, these uh, role models. Um, and just the same way as Orban himself is a role model for for the far right in the west of uh, the EU, like in in the Netherlands, and also for uh, the far right uh, Republicans in the US. Mm, okay. In terms of expansion, then, of this academy, the MCC, um, how is it expanding around the European Union? Yes, it has uh, spread quite rapidly. Uh, first of all, around neighboring countries. Um, uh, in Slovakia, Romania, Ukraine, um, where there are hundreds of thousands of ethnic Hungarians, uh, they are very receptive to Orban's ideas generally. Um, there's also now an MCC center in Brussels, uh, which publishes reports that push Orban's views quite um, clearly, uh, for example, recently on LGBTQ issues. Um, and MCC has bought an entire university in Vienna in, in Austria. This is something that, in terms of thinking about where the money for this academy comes from, has drawn some interesting support um, from the business community as well. Talk us through how the academy is funded. 
Yeah, so um, uh, the the structure of NCC's endowment was one of the reasons I even became interested in looking at uh, looking into it more closely and writing about it for Bloomberg. Uh, the government handed over large equity stakes in an oil refiner and a pharmaceutical company, which instantly turned this academy into one of Hungary's single biggest investors in the equities market. It's also got a very rich real estate portfolios ma portfolio made up of uh, of hotels and other properties. Okay, MCC is also invested in a book publisher, and that has embroiled um, or involved some controversy over LGBTQ rights. You, you, you alluded to it. Can you talk us through that? Um, yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, that's one of the sort of the more controversial issues around it. Um, um, and while a lot of the teaching in the academy is probably quite innocuous and not always like uh, very immersed in ideology, in publishing, um, that's one of the clearest examples of, of how it's, it's spreading Orban's ideology. So the bookseller that it bought is one of the biggest in the country and it, it, it uh, quite sort of blatantly complied with, with uh, very harsh government regulations. Uh, which meant that he had to hide books from children, wrapping them up in, in plastic foil, uh, which is supposedly meant to uh, shield uh, children from exposure to, to what the government sees as sort of damaging LGBTQ content. Now, you spoke to MCC's leadership for this story as well. What did they tell you about their goals with the academy? Right. So, so I spoke to to quite a few of the the, the leaders, and 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 they say that they really um, that they that their mission is, is is education. It's not ideology. It's just to you know to give uh, young people a better education. And um, yes, they say they're not value neutral. So, so they you know they they espouse these these conservative values, um, and. And again, in a lot of their seminars, that's probably right, that the, that it's only sort of a mild conservative worldview. Um, but again, as I mentioned with the, the choice of speakers, Tucker Carlson and so on, mm. um, clearly it's not going to be opposition to, to Orban that they, that they teach. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.